0: Well that's a big announcement and with both of these staff changes, it's always my desire and our elder board's desire to keep everyone informed and just to be uh, very straightforward with all that's happening with any change in the church. And uh, it's our belief that with greater clarity and greater movement and greater alignment, we can get more done for the kingdom of God. And so that's the way we'll lead here. You know, for many years, I have carried this simple business card, in the back of my wallet that has three phrases on it which have deeply informed my life really for the past 10 years. And uh, this business card has meant a lot to me for a long, long time. I'll tell you why. I have a group of people who, uh, it seems, have loved me over the years, but maybe haven't known me all that well. Maybe you can relate. You have a handful of friends who are affectionate towards you and love you, but you wonder if at base, they really don't know you that well and your relationship is kind of based on common interests and personality and style. And you wonder maybe is that relationship a deeply authentic relationship or is it rather an inch deep? And I've had a number of those people in my life. I'm grateful for them. But, but in my heart of hearts, I've, I've known that while they love me, they might not know me very well. Then I have another group of people, my family and some old friends, who know me very well. And my fear and sometimes my actualized experience has been as they've gotten to know me better and better, they don't love me as much. <laughs> I had a meandering journey to faith. I embraced Christ as my Savior as a young adult, 18, 19 years old, freshman in college. And it was a meandering journey through a couple different religions and worldviews and a whole lot of boasts about myself and my own accomplishments to a place in which I experienced the grace of Christ and learned. Not to boast in self, but to boast only in him and to live my life according to the truth that he's actually been risen from the grave and therefore I should submit totally to him. But as that experience unfolded, I developed a a passion, a zeal sometimes for Christ. and, And sometimes those people who really knew me found they liked me a little bit less than originally. And so, this little business card that I received from a seminary professor 10 years ago has always resounded in my mind. It has these three phrases on it fully known, fully loved, no fear of rejection. Fully known, fully loved, no fear of rejection. And I think this has made such a difference for me and I've brought it out on a regular basis off from of my wallet and just meditated on it from time to time because that hasn't always been my experience. Instead it's been fully known and not quite fully loved. Or loved but really not known all that well. But in Christ what I have found is one who knows me completely. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my foibles. He knows my personality quirks. He knows my brokenness. He knows my sin and my temptations. And yet, He still fully loves to the death, to sacrifice. And He promises never to reject me. And so, this has been formational for me. And it's an idea that I've returned to again and again over the course of the past. Ten years. Now, why do I share that? It isn't to get overly personal with you or to engender a false sense of sympathy from you. I share it because ideas matter. Beliefs matter. And holding the right right beliefs can galvanize us to a better future. And holding the right beliefs, the right ideas, can give us a different hope and a different anchor, a different stability in the midst of otherwise unstable circumstances. I remember reading many years ago the great novelist Victor Hugo, who wrote, there is nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. So true. There is nothing more powerful than the right idea whose time has come into your soul. Nothing more powerful than the right beliefs internalized and how they can make a difference in our lives in order to give us hope for a better future and, again, provide us an anchor when the storms of life come in. And so over these next six weeks, today and the next five weeks, what we would like to do from this stage is share some words, share some ideas that we believe have the capacity for change, The capacity to provide an anchor for us as a church and an anchor for us individual. And these statements include our mission statement, our four core values, and our vision statement. And we're going to preach on these over the course of the next six weeks. And our our elders and our staff team are all in on these together. Kind of like this little picture on the front of your handout, you got a bunch of hands in together, like a basketball team that all puts their hands in together at the beginning of the game. And they say, Yeah, mission, vision, values, we're all in for all of those. And we pray that the whole church through these six weeks would feel the same, that across different genders and different races and different ages and experiences, we would hear these basic statements and we would say, Yes, I am all in for that. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Again, these are statements that we believe can provide an anchor for the kind of church that we are when times get rough. And this church has gone through some rough times, but God's been faithful to it, in part because we've believed the right things and we've always gone back to those right things. And so we want to reiterate those. And yet at the same time, though, these statements can also provide an arrow. An anchor for stability and an arrow for vision. An arrow for where we're going, a direction for an even better future together. And again, the prayer is, when it's all said and done, we could say together as one church family, we're all in. So let's jump in to Mark chapter 12. This is the second gospel of Jesus. If you turn there with me over in the New Testament, you got the book of Matthew. And then you got the book of Mark, and you have these four little biographies of Jesus' life. And the second one is the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 12 today, reading verses 28 through 34. What Jesus is doing here is he's interacting with a scribe. And uh, a scribe is someone who was part of one of the different religious schools of that first century world. There were two primary religious schools. One was a Sadducee, another one was a Pharisee. And sometimes the scribes uh, belonged to the school of the Sadducees, but more often they belonged to the Pharisees. And the scribes' job was, was a special one within ancient Judaism. It was their job to copy and recopy all. All of the scrolls of the Old Testament, such as the different synagogues of the day, would have a scroll for the Old Testament, or many scrolls as it were. And not only would they copy those scrolls verbatim, but also they would interpret those scrolls and teach on those scrolls, teach on the Old Testament law. So they were really experts in the law. And the scribes sometimes came to Jesus with different questions. It seems at times to trick him, and other times just out of curiosity. So what we have here is a passage in which one of the scribes is coming to Jesus to ask him a question, and Jesus has been interacting with groups of Sadducees and Pharisees, and so he has another one here, starting in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them, that is, the Sadducees, disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, the scribe asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. And there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. I think he said that, you're not far from the kingdom of God, because he's saying you have intellectually assented to these things and therefore you're close to what God wants from you. But to get in the kingdom of God, it's more than just an intellectual assent, it's a heart level belief about these things. Believing that God is God and I'm going to submit my life to him, I'm gonna love him with heart, soul, mind and strength and commit to following him, including loving neighbors as myself. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This was an idea. From Jesus, the Great Commandment, whose time had come. It may not be immediately apparent to us because we hear the Great Commandment frequently. Maybe you've heard a number of sermons on the Great Commandment, and you say that's kind of old hat. I've been there, I've listened to those sermons before, Adrian. I can kind of check out far from this one. I pray that you don't. It truly was a liberating and revolutionary idea when Jesus uttered these words. You see, Jewish law contained 613 commandments. In the first five books of Moses, there were 613 rules of what to do and what not to do. And then on top of that, these different schools, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the various rabbinic schools would regularly add on additional commandments to those 613 commandments. And that later became what is called the Talmud. And the Talmud was the oral record Okay, the written record of oral interpretation of Old Testament laws. So that's you had layers upon layers of laws on top of those 613 laws. So where do you start? Woo! It's a lot. You think about the different categories of law, even just in the Old Testament. There were moral laws, like the Great Commandments, excuse me, the, the Ten Commandments were moral laws, or laws for honoring. Uh, Parents, or caring for widows and orphans and the fatherless, and on and on. Those were moral laws that have great transference to us today. And there were civil laws that were specifically for Israel as a theocracy when it went into the land of Canaan, how it was to operate as a government. And then there were other laws that the Sadducee, excuse me, the scribe refers to here that were ceremonial laws. He refers to whole offerings and burnt sacrifices. So all of the sacrificial system and the dietary restrictions and all of that, those were ceremonial laws, some of which we can learn for today, but Jesus said that he fulfilled them completely. And so again, the scribe comes to Jesus and he says, given all of these laws and now all of the interpretations upon them, where do we start? What is most important? What is the greatest? Because understandably, people are getting overwhelmed. And Jesus, without missing a beat, he is the greatest teacher in all of history. Without missing a beat, he quotes from memory the highest of Jewish prayers, the Shema, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and you are to bind these words upon your heart, to meditate on them day and night. You are to give yourself fully to the Lord. And then he goes beyond that and he says, you also are second to love others as you love yourself, because it's one thing to say you love God whom you cannot see, But how can you love God whom you do not see if you don't also love your neighbor whom you do see? Jesus expands on this over in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, in which he says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of it. All of the law, the first five books of Moses, all the prophets from Isaiah to Malachi, hang on these two. Love God, love others. You see, sometimes simplicity is revolutionary. And it certainly was. This was a great idea whose time had come when Jesus came onto the scene. Start with this and you'll do okay. Later on, he gave this single commission that you'll know in Uh, Matthew 28, this was the great commission that followed those great commandments, and this was the one commission that he gave to his disciples. He said, this is what you're to do. First, you you believe these things. You love God and love others, but this is what you do. You go out and you make disciples. That's it. Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and know that I will be with you always to the very ends of the age." And the truth is, just about every church's mission statement is a reflection of those two statements from Jesus, the great commandment and the great commission. And it should be. These are the two statements of Jesus to define purpose for the universal church that calls on the name of Christ. In essence, any church that would call on the name of Christ would have this as their mission statement, as their purpose, in so many words love God, love others, build transformational communities and countries by sending my word, by being my witnesses wherever you might go. And so we at Carney E Free just want to reflect that. And as a result, you've probably seen this mission statement out on the wall behind this garage that says simply we are building a transformational community. Let's read this out loud together since it's all of us all in. Would you join me? We're building a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. It's a great statement. This is what we want to be about. We want to build a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. Now, if you've been around E Free for a while, you probably know that this is a slight revision. There's two slight revisions in this from the previous mission statement which was also a wonderful mission statement, but see if you can notice the two revisions from the old one as I read the old statement. It was building a transformational community by growing in love for Christ and His people. You notice the difference? It was for Christ and His people. Now it's with Christ and all people. And the first idea that just pops off as you read that That is a pretty significant difference. Even though the old mission statement was really, really good, I love this new mission statement because it changes. We are not simply loving God's people, not simply loving Christ's people. Jesus invites us. No, indeed, Jesus commands us to love all people indiscriminately because he shows no favor to people. We, as his followers, show no favor to certain people people. He invites us to love all people. I love that your pastors had the wisdom to make this modification this past summer before I was even here. They understood God invites us to love others as we love ourselves. Now, that means God wants you to love yourself. Isn't that wonderful? You get to love yourself, just not more than other people. God would invite you to love yourself because you also are made in the image and likeness of God. You are not an accident. You are created by God. Christ came to die for you. And so it's okay to grow in a biblical sense of health esteem. I matter to God. I matter to others. I matter to him so much he'd give his son for me. I just don't love myself more than I love other people because Christ has invited me to love them as they also are made in the image of God every bit as much as I am as well. This was truly revolutionary, because by the time Jesus said these words, Jews and Gentiles got into this habit. Jews particularly should have known better, but by the time of the first century, they hated each other so much that mostly Jewish leaders were teaching Jewish people, just take care of your own. And Jews love Jews. And tragically, we see this among so many religions of the world still today. You go to many different places in the world. You go to India and you see Hindus love Hindus, and Muslims love Muslims, but they don't love Sikhs too well or don't love Buddhists or Christians too well, and you go to Sri Lanka and you see Buddhists love Buddhists, sometimes, it's kind of like contemporary politics. Democrats love Democrats, sometimes. Republicans love Republicans, except during debate season. But Jesus went much further than this. He said, love your neighbor too. Love others as you love yourself, including your neighbor. And I just wonder, what if Jesus actually meant our neighbors? Like our physical neighbors. What what if we just started there? I'm going to love the people in the radius around my home. I'm going to identify six or eight homes around my home and figure out ways to love them. Oh, but Adrian, you don't understand. They're going through a really nasty divorce, and it's ugly. I don't care. Find a way to love them. Oh but, but but he's an alcoholic. They struggle with sexuality issues. Find a way to love them. Go out of your way to intentionally act in love. And if that wasn't enough then Jesus has the gall to say not just others as you love yourself, not just those who agree with you, not just neighbors but your enemies. I mean, talk about difficult to love enemies. Think of someone that you really do not like, or think of someone that really does not like you. How difficult that is to go out of your way to love that person. But this is explicitly what Jesus invites us to do, to love those who do not like us, to go out of our way to bless those that we don't really care for, What would it look like to be a part of a church where you might even think this moment, is there someone in this church family that you don't really care for? Don't say their name. (laughs) But what would it look like to go out of your way to love that person? This is what Christ would call us to. This builds transformational communities. To love like that for neighbors, for those who believe the same thing, for those who believe something very, very differently, for enemies is to love as Christ loves. Because Romans 5, 6 says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, that while we were yet enemies of God, Christ Jesus died for us. Because John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have Everlasting life. The word for world there is cosmos, which means everything. All people. You can't imagine a place that God doesn't love. You can't imagine a person that God doesn't love. Or the apostle Peter, the closest associate of Jesus, who explained in 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not, keeping, is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Thanks be to God. This is the love of God. He continues to extend his long arm even to those who are not yet willing to repent because he longs for them. He's long suffering for them. He's patient with them, longing for them to come to repentance. What if we in the church love like that? Here's a little secret. Many of you know this, but the the secret is many people outside of the church feel like people in the church are really nice to each other, but they're not very nice to people outside the church. Unfortunately, many churches have that reputation. As far as I can tell, we do not have that reputation. Let's keep it up and make it even better. Let's continue to improve upon our reputation because we want to be known here as the church that goes out of our way to love those who are different. We want to be known here as the church that goes out of our way to bless those who might even dislike us, to bless those who sin the same as us, and to bless those who sin differently than us. Can I get an amen? That's the kind of church that has the power to change the community and power to change the world. It is an overflow of Christ's great commandment to love God and love others, and when it happens, transformation is right at the door. That's the first change that your pastors made last summer. The second change to this mission statement is a little bit more subtle, but it also is very significant. I love the fact that pastors Kevin and and Tim Stratton and Tim Peterson and uh, Kent and, and Brian, I love the fact that these pastors got together and they said, it's not just that we want to grow in love for Christ. It's not just that we want to know more about Christ or direct our love to Christ. It's that we wanna grow in love with Christ. It's a subtle difference, but it's a significant difference because it's an understanding that God invites us to relationship with him through his son. And the way change happens typically is in the context of loving relationships. And it's no different in terms of our relationship with our master, our savior, our friend, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are invited into relationship with him And these pastors knew, they had the prescience to understand that their ministries are not worth anything if they don't love Christ. Their lives aren't worth much if they're not growing in love with Christ. And so it is for us. Friends, this is the aim of our discipleship, to love Christ, to grow in connection with the resurrected Lord Jesus. And out of that, there is the possibility for ongoing transformation. Ongoing transformation, ongoing spiritual formation, ongoing character development happens in the context of relationship with Jesus. And so I'd like to submit that perhaps we all would pick up another little business card that we would all put in our wallets. And you have one of these in your handout. It's just a verse of the year for 2016. And we've talked about this verse a little bit back in December, but we want to reiterate that that this morning and return to it a few times over the course of 2016 as a verse for the year that we believe has the capacity for helping us achieve the life change that we all like, we all would want, but find so difficult to grasp. And it reads simply this, I want to know Christ, yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and to participate with him in his sufferings, to somehow become more and more like him and to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I'd like to just submit that perhaps we would all put this in our wallet for the next year or on your refrigerator or on your dashboard or, best yet, in your soul. You'd memorize it. You'd allow it to sink in your soul because the word of God is living and active and it's able to produce change in us. And it summarizes exactly what we're after as a church. There's a beauty in this that is summarized so simply. We are seeking to know Christ. We are not there yet, but we press on. This is it. This is what we're going after. We wanna know Christ. We don't wanna just have a morning devotion. We want to know Christ on a personal level. We want to increase our sense of union with Christ. We want to learn how to pray to him and be with him throughout the day because in the context of Christ is joy and pleasure forevermore and the possibility for life change. We want to know more of him, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and even the fellowship with him in his sufferings, that he would be with us in our sufferings, enabling us to get through it. This is what we want to know. And we would all say we're not there yet. Do we got any experts in this room at the Christian life? There are no experts here. There are no experts on this stage. There are no experts in the Christian life. That's why the Apostle Paul himself said, I'm not there yet. I haven't yet obtained all this. But one thing I do, I leave aside the past And I press on toward this goal to make it my own, to hold on to more of Christ because he has made me his own. Could you just imagine with me if we had 13 or 14 or 1,500 people all make this, our goal together over the course of the next year? Might Christ, in fact, build a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people? Would you agree that that would be possible? That's possible here. We can build a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people, and the simplicity of Jesus' statement can still be revolutionary to you and me today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy to us. Thank you, Lord, that in the midst of a very, very complex world, very complex lives that we all live, You sent your son, Jesus, and you made it a little bit simpler. Father, we thank you that you've given us these simple beliefs, that we would grow in a deep love for Christ with all we got, a deep love for God with all we got. And then out of that, we would commit to loving others well. Father, we would admit to you right now that we all fail in this, and so we need your help. We desire to build a transformational community here at Free, where change regularly happens, where we see life change, but we acknowledge that for that to happen, it begins with us. It begins with us. We're not gonna go change the world. We're not gonna go change our families. We're not gonna go change our neighborhoods outside of being changed by you. So would you do a great work in us, Lord? Would you increasingly conform us to the likeness of your Son? And Father, we're about to take communion here, and this is such a special time for us to remember that Christ Jesus went all the way to the cross for us to forgive us and to give us life forevermore. And as we are forgiven, we experience change. As you forgive us, as you cancel our debts, you give us a fresh start. And out of that fresh start, we have something to give to others. And so Lord, in the quietness of our hearts, we take a couple moments to confess our sins to you, confess the ways that we failed, even the great commandment to ask for your help. Oh, Lord, we thank you for forgiving us. And we thank you now that we can take this bread and this cup that symbolizes the work of Jesus for every person in this room. If you have trusted your life to Christ, I invite you to take today, knowing that the slate has been wiped clean that you belong to God, and no one will ever take that away from you. In the name of Christ, we pray together.